Cool. Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, joining me on the Godcast today is uh, Jonathan Higgs, and Jonathan is the frontman and lead singer of uh, the band uh, Everything Everything. Jonathan, it's it's great to get you on the Godcast. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, we've got lousy weather here in in uh, mid October in Burnley. Where, whereabouts are you today? I'm in uh, Stockport, so oh, no. just as bad. <laughs> not far away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, no, not. So, so you, but you're you um, you're from the northeast. Is that right? Is that right, Jonathan? I was born in Newcastle. Yep. Yeah. Um, I've lived in Manchester now for just slightly longer than half my life. So I guess I'm now a mank. But call me what you will. I don't sound like it. I'm from Newcastle. I'm just from the north. It's funny that, isn't it? Because we kind of refer to ourselves as northerners. Do you think there's um? There's much of a difference between Newcastle and Manchester. Uh, yes, but not that. I mean, the UK is so ridiculously varied from like village to village. Um, you, if you were foreign and you came to both, you'd think they were exactly the same, shall we say? But obviously, we think there's loads and loads of differences, imperceptible differences. The weather's much worse up there despite the reputation that uh, Manchester has. Yeah. So do you, do you consider yourself Geordie or are you, you know, an adopted Manc? What do you kind of think about in those terms? Or I do honestly don't know. I, I, I kind of don't know. I don't think it's up to me because um, it's really how other people view me. Um, I think of myself as just being a northerner, I guess you would say. Mm. Um, but I mean, my... My heart does beat when I see something to do with Newcastle, but um, I don't know. I, I look out for Manchester as well now. Um, you know, when it's on the international stage, for example, I'm like, oh yeah, Manchester. Yeah, and and as a kid growing up, what was what was the music scene like up up there? Was it was it quite vibrant? Were there were there bands that you were noticing or? Or were you looking further afield for your musical influences? The scene in Newcastle wasn't really great at all. Um, and it still struggles. I mean, they don't have the infrastructure that somewhere like Manchester does. Uh, Manchester's just kind of set up for it so well. Um, the history it's got, obviously, of bands, the, the venues, the whole setup really is is ready for bands. Basically, Newcastle doesn't have it. Unfortunately, There's, there are some great bands that come from there and Sunderland, um, but no, it doesn't have the same uh, vibe at all. Unfortunately, we often thought that it would <clears throat> that would happen, but it just I don't know. Maybe it's happened and I haven't noticed since. Mm. Yeah, and uh, you know I've, I've been listening to your band quite a lot over the last few days. Uh, and you're very unique, I would say. But but who were your influences as a kid then? Who who are you listening to? Um, like everyone, it was the Beatles. I think they're a really good band for children. Actually, um, that's often overlooked. I think they're really creative. Oh, <clears throat> of course, they're creative. They're really sort of colourful. I think for for children, they're uh, so varied, song to song, and very approachable. But there's complexity. Um, we all know about the Beatles, obviously. So, more in, more more interesting ones, I guess. My parents listen to Simon and Garfunkel a lot. 
Um, the vocal harmonies that they do is something that's definitely had a big influence on me. Um, and they were really into this band, the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, who were kind of surreal 70s or 60s, uh, kind of like Monty Python almost, but right. music. Um, and they never really crossed over into the mainstream, but they're like a huge cult band. Um, and they're, and they're, there's a lot of humor in that. Um, and a lot of just weird stuff happens, but in quite an approachable sort of format. So I think that had a bigger, bigger influence on, on me than I realized. Um, and then later it was, you know, Nirvana, like everybody. They're not, not that crazy, basically. Uh, Radiohead, if you sing high, I probably listen to you. Um, and then latterly, I really liked the sort of American R&B world of things like Destiny's Child, uh, R. Kelly, although not allowed to listen to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a huge disappointment, isn't it? I used to like R. Kelly, and uh, you know, you think, "Oh crikey, we can't go there anymore," which is a which uh, is a shame. But uh, and, and what about um, your your voice? And um, when did you when did you realize that your that you had a talent to sing? You know, were you was this through school days, or, or was it at college, or when, you know, when were you aware of the potential of your voice? Um not for a long, long time. I, I sang in the choir at school, but I was a bass, you know, um, and I was in bands all through school. From about 13 onwards, I had a band, but I was an absolutely terrible singer. Um, some might, may say I still am, but even <laughs> right through uni, I was just shit, basically. Mm. But I would was really ambitious in what I was trying to sing, which is, was part of the problem. Um, trying to sing really high, really fast and stuff like this. And I guess I slowly, because I I did this thing where I, when I came to a high note, I would just sing it falsetto so I could get the note and move on. Look at me with my trump hands. And uh, But then I didn't really care about keeping it consistent. So I would sing a, a melody in my regular voice and then there'd be a high note, I'd just go to falsetto. I know it's not that weird, but I would do it so much that I got really good at doing that little switch and then I found that people really liked that about the way I was singing. Um, and it sort of became the way I naturally sing everything is to, is to do this sort of in and out technique. Um, and then obviously my voice did get better and better as time went on to the point where I didn't really have to do the technique anymore. But I enjoy it and I think people like it. So it kind of, I sort of fell into it by accident. I never had any proper training. Um, it was just sort of absolute trial and error years and years of just kind of going i don't care if i'm shit i'm gonna sing this yeah the kind of Billy organ approach i think yeah and what about writing were you writing as well from a young age when did you kind of uh get the bug for that was that was that an early thing as well yeah that was like 13 14 pretty much as soon as i heard nirvana and i realized that you could play you know two or three notes um it didn't matter didn't have to be the Beatles, um, although they obviously have that side to them as well. Um, so yeah, as soon as I could play one string on a guitar, I was writing songs um, and they just obviously, it just went from there. But that, again, that's just 20 odd years of that now. Um, it mounts up. Yeah. And as a, young, as a young guy, I'm thinking when I was a kid, which is years ago, you know, there's all that angst and testosterone running through your veins, isn't there? What were you writing about, John? Was it kind of was it 
were you quite a philosophical young man? Were you, were you religious in any yeah. way? What were you thinking about? I was very, um, I definitely wanted the lyrics always from day one to be um, quite serious and deep. I remember I, I had this song, I played it to my mum, the recording of it, I didn't perform it. And, um, and it had this line about, uh, sound the horn and let's bring down the hunt or something like that and um and she was like what's that mean jonathan and i was like oh that's that's because i hate hunters or something like that and she was like oh very deep very deep and i remember her saying that and, and thinking oh right is, the, is she taking the piss out of me I don't, I, I don't really know um but yeah but that was when i was like 14 or whatever so it was definitely always trying to be thoughtful certainly I never I didn't really have a stupid period although I did have we did have one song in my first band called George and it was just like me talking over the top of this really stupid song about this this guy called George and what okay. happens to him yeah and what no, about sorry what about on. religion John were you, were you was religion part of your life growing up or did you give it no. much thought have you ever has it ever been on your agenda yeah I certainly gave it thought my mum's sort of reasonably religious comes and goes I think my dad isn't at all um I never I don't think I ever had a period where I was I can remember having a sort of epiphany excuse the term uh when I was about maybe 15 16 um about the whole thing really and just kind of going there's there isn't anything there um and feeling very proud of myself um, for figuring it out in, a, in that teenage way. Um, and I wouldn't say I've I've come back on that, but I'm, I think a, a young person can often be quite, uh, I think quite mean to believers if they aren't one themselves. And I think I've come back on that a hell of a way. Um, there was a time where I would be, I was a pretty horrible atheist mm. um, and I'm not like that now, but I, I wouldn't say my faith has ever, you know, flared up ever, no. really. It's, it's quite interesting because I've spoke to quite a few atheists on the Godcast and most of them like to kind of uh, reiterate the point that, I'm, you know, look, I'm not a full on kind of, you know, uh, you know, I think you're all absolute arseholes, you know, there, there yeah. seems to be a... A sympathy there and and um and still an inquisitive nature even though they, they proclaim to be to be atheists which is quite interesting and and yeah go on Jonathan are you going to say, say something no I can't I've, I've instantly <laughs> okay I was, I was um when I, when I was looking you up kind of described as an art band and um I'm I was wondering about that I was like I'm not I love my music I was thinking about art bands I suppose I'm probably a bit older than you, but but the one that's that kind of Kraftwerk come to mind for me as as an art band and, and maybe Sparks and and um, I'm, I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan, Jonathan, and their their visuals are incredible with a guy called Anton Corbin who who, who who kind of turns the music into something else. How important is that side of the the um, uh, the band is is that for you as as the artists? Uh, visual side mm. oh yeah hugely we were um well right now we're actually talking a lot about presenting ourselves in a certain way 
um, and we are pretty, we go pretty hard when it comes to that. We, um, we talk about it and we try stuff out hugely because it's, yeah, I mean, all the bands, all the great bands that I consider great have a good, a good idea about visuals, basically. Um, from, you know, Queen to Radiohead, obviously the Beatles. Um, and it's ones that don't care about it, say Oasis, that you puts them in a different type of category, I would say. Not that they're not a great band, but you don't, I don't consider them in the same way. Um, so yeah, we, we, we do absolutely go, go really hard. I've always made, not entirely, but I've made about 90% of our videos ever. I've directed them or sometimes just made them from nothing. Mm. And that's been a really good, um, given us a really good connection of, to it ourselves because we're the creators. So the next thing we're looking at is doing artwork ourselves now, producing ourselves now. So that's kind of like the final step. And, and where do you get the inspiration for that? Is it, is it something you uh, contemplate over a long period of time or, or do you just kind of think, wow, this is what I need to do? I've watched some of your videos are, are really um, visually interesting, um, um, you know, and, and I think, well, they, they make me think, you know, and I like music that makes me think that rather than just kind of give me all the answers, I like ambiguity behind songs. And is that is that intentional with what you do? Oh, definitely. Um, got to keep a, a good few layers of mystery. Um, just got to get the right amount. That's the thing. That the longest, the longest running conversation that we that we have as a group of friends in the band is sort of where we draw the line between comprehensibility and art or mystery, um, and walking that balance. And sometimes we tip too far into making things too obvious sometimes we tip the other way um so that's all that's completely ongoing and i'm obviously i think that's probably the same for all bands really um all artists really but yeah it's it never ends <laughs> just when you think you know your audience they surprise you or they might not get something or they 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 hone in on something you never intended mm. you know that, that kind of thing that you can't predict is interesting and does that apply to your bandmates as well? Do they sometimes go, oh, my goodness, uh, where is Jonathan taking us with this? You know, or, or do you kind of give them a clear, you know, I, I like you, I know what you said there about the layers behind the music, but, um, you know, as a band, are you all on the same page, I suppose, in terms of where it's going? No, we're not at all. <laughs> um, because a hell of a lot of the time, I mean, I write the lyrics. I don't necessarily write the music. Alex writes a lot of music now. Mm. Um, and sometimes I he'll present me with a song and say, John, can you sing something on top of this? And then I'll sing something. And then three weeks later, you know, I'll give him the demo back. And then he'll go, actually, John, I was, I was thinking about um, a mining disaster in, in Wales when I wrote this. And I'll be like, I've just written loads of lyrics about, you know, my sister's baby. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, but do you think you could maybe, you know, make it a bit more about the Welsh mining? And just, you know, it's a, that's not quite the example, but it's like that. Mm. Or I'll write a load of lyrics and then, 
and I'll think they're fucking great. And then Mike will come up to me a few days later and say, John, what the hell does this mean? Or mm. I really like that song you've written about and you just come mm. out with something completely different. And, uh, and uh, sometimes I will explain myself and sometimes I just don't want to, or uh, I can't, or sometimes it doesn't mean anything, something I've written, a line here or there, or it's like a joke and I don't want to tell them mm. that it's just a joke, you know? And all these things combine and recombine when you've got four people with four sets of ideas and 12 years of history in the band and, and all the things we've done before and it gets ever more complex the, the type of uh, decisions we have to make yeah and, and do you enjoy that that creative process is it is it part of the uh you know i mean i suppose as fans you know i i, I just want I just want the Pesh mode to rock up every year, really, and with, with something new. But I understand yeah. there's a process to that. Do, do you do you enjoy that kind of beginning of a project? And and does that normally start with you saying, "Right, I'm I'm going to go writing." And how long would you commit to that period as well? Well, I enjoy aspects of it. I tend to I like the blank slate, but sometimes it's very daunting, especially when you feel like you've just like your last record was like the best thing you're ever going to do, especially when it's like that. Um, so I'd say that the, the greatest joy in my job is that is that moment where you've just, just written something new before you show it to anyone. And it's just yours, yours and the universes. Mm. Um, that's a, an exquisite joy. You can't really, doesn't feel like anything else to create. And, and then and know it's good, or at least you think it's good. Um, so I, I love the, like the moment of creation, but I despise everything that comes after. So showing it to anyone, hearing what they think about it, changing it, um, refining it, explaining it, recording it. Mm. Like you, we, there's a thing that you'll get with bands called demoitis, where it's a, disease of the mind where you fall in love with a demo and then you go to the studio to do it for real and you're like it's not as good as a demo it's not as good as a demo and you haven't sung it like you sung it on a demo or and that strikes a lot especially the longer the gap is between writing it and recording it yeah you'll you'll get demoitis bad um and there's four of us all getting demoitis for different things you know so it gets it gets crazy and i don't I dislike all that but um when it's all done and it's like release day and it's like, look at how much, look at how fucking great this is. Like we worked so hard on that and that and that. Look how good the lyrics are and listen to how fucking good I am at singing this. And <laughs> listen to Mike on this track and then look at this fucking video. And it's all there and it's all done. That feels amazing. Mm. And so does going out on tour. Mm. So having the, like the moment of creation is great moment where it's all done is great everything else in between is kind of torturous when you've um, written when you've written a track and you kind of think oh this is just brilliant How, do you share it quite quickly or or do you or do you discipline yourself enough to say i need to put that in the drawer for a week or two before i reveal it to anybody else no, no, a day or two at most i would say um i usually can't can't wait um but sometimes i'll send them to like someone who isn't in the band maybe um so i don't have to get because we've been doing it so long in the band it, it's unusual that someone will respond with like 
oh my God, this is the best thing. They'll be like, yeah, it's great. Um, maybe we could try this, you know, <laughs> because we, it's, it's work. Mm. Uh, and so if I just want, just for once, you know, once in a while, I just want someone to just like, oh my God, that is amazing. Then I send it to someone outside the band, for example, get yeah. that initial reaction, like a fan reaction. And yeah. then I get a, like a, a colleague reaction after that. And, and those gaps in between albums and, and new material, do, do you enjoy that time? You know, I mean, I mean, I can't help think, well, I'm thinking, what are these guys doing? I need more music. I need more music. Um, but do you enjoy that downtime? Do you, do you, do you use it wisely or, or just chill out? What, what, what do you kind of do with it? No, I don't use, use it wisely at all. Um, it tends to be one way or another, we're, we're already working on the next thing. I mean, downtime at the moment it doesn't really exist because you're either promoting singles which effectively for me means making videos or you're on tour or you're back in the cycle and you're writing again so it may appear like downtime but really it's probably writing that we're doing or touring that we're doing but touring's been completely messed up by uh, the pandemic so we had to do the other one which is right yeah, and I want—I just want to ask about um, producers. You do, um, and and obviously you're you're obviously kind of um, sounds a bit ridiculous to say you're hands on. You're in the band, of course you're hands on. But but some people are happy to hand their music over to production and producers who kind of mold it and gel it. Where where are you as a band with that? Do you, do you like to keep that overall control, or are you, or are you or do you like a producer coming in and saying, "Have you thought about this or that?" I kind of like the idea of it more than I like the reality of it. Um, I haven't honestly enjoyed working with producers mo most of the times we've had them. Not that it's a, it's a miserable time or they've not been nice people. It's just, I've got my own thoughts about how things should be. And Alex has got his and he's way more into production than I am. I think, and obviously the other guys do as well. And it's like, we're a bit sort of overqualified, I think, in lots of yeah. ways in, in this group. And that's sometimes is cause for um, things not going smoothly because we all unfortunately or fortunately do know quite a lot about music and production and things like this. And we all think we are best and there's four of us, you know, so it can get um, sticky, you know, because it, the best thing a producer can do is is just be decisive. When we're left to our own devices, that's when things really get bogged down because we all are producers in our heads. Mm. However, we we are now at the stage where we're going producer free and we are doing it ourselves. So that's pretty exciting. Alex is producing the record um, that we're thinking about making, shall we say? And you you've been together a long time, haven't you? And you've and you've had that consistency. Um, you know, some bands kind of break up and have a fallout and a tiff and come back together, but you've been pretty consistent. Is is that down to um, kind of just a friendship or just kind of um, uh, that, that musical connection? It's a few things. I think we had our fallout before the band started. We did have another member before the band, before you were, shall we say, before us. Um, and 
that was kind of the drama. And then after that, it's been smooth sailing. So I think we were lucky to kind of get that done because um, that was the kind of thing that would have destroyed a band later on. Um, so that that was, I guess, lucky in a way. Um, but yeah, I think we're, I think we're pretty well suited to our roles. One of the main problems that occurs in in bands that split up is people um, sort of encroaching on each other or trying to be in charge of everything. You know, the usual stuff that destroys any community um, ego, really. Um, and I think, I yeah, I, I have an ego, but I also know that I'm not very good at quite a lot of stuff. Um, and I think that goes for all of us. And, we, and we're pretty good at the things that we're good at. And luckily, there isn't a huge amount of overlap. So Alex and I will write music. Mike and Jeremy just don't write music, and they're totally cool with that. I think you'll get that doesn't always happen you know you'll get the, the drummer wants his song on the next record and those kind of tensions just haven't arrived for us and we're quite self-sufficient so i can produce videos which is lucky you know um we all have a good just a good head on our shoulders when it comes to our roles i think and we're not uh too precious about it yeah <clears throat> and and as you reflect on the career with the band Today, are you content with your lot today? I mean, obviously, you're still a relatively young guy and there's there's much to come, but are you pleased how, how it's panned out for you as a band? No, we should be way bigger. Obviously. Um, can I, Jonathan, can I, ask you, can I ask you about that, though? Because, yeah, I get that. You know, and I and, and had a really good chat with Rick Witter from Shed 7 about, you know, kind of popularity and things like that and and but um you wouldn't you wouldn't compromise your your musical integrity to be to be more popular would you um would you? I, I think I would <laughs> yeah and i think i do i think if i if if jonathan from our first record heard our last one he'd be like what the hell is this crap and if I had a conversation with him, it would probably be an argument. Um, but there comes a line where you, where I don't even think it's good. It's a tricky thing because I'll listen to very pop pop a lot of the time, actually, probably most of the time. And I sit down and write a song and I think I want this to be, this could be sung by, I don't know, Ariana Grande and it would be number one. This is what I'm trying to write right now. Mm. And I'm going to produce it in that way. I'm not even going to try and subtly change it. I'm just going to do the thing. And uh, it still comes out really weird. And as soon as I sing on it, obviously it's it's not going to number one, but it's, um, no, I mean, the question of would I, would I debase myself and write like pure pop. It's like, yeah, I have been for, I've been trying to do that since like our second record. Um, please, can I be more like that? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it just never, it just doesn't, doesn't happen because we, people view us in a certain way. And you could, you could probably transplant one of our songs and put it on someone else's record and no one would notice that it was us, if you know what I mean. They would just think, oh yeah, that's Sam Smith being a pop, a pop star 
Um, it's interesting. I think it's about perception and we built up a certain uh, reputation that, you know, we're a kind of Mercury style band and we're a bit sort of nerdy and stuff. But if you actually analyze the music, it's no, no more complex um, than very, what's considered like very pop pop. It's weird. It's one of those yeah. things. And sometimes really pop is, is actually complex as, as anything. Mm. It's kind of how you, how it's being perceived by how it's presented more than anything. Mm. But you are popular. You, I mean, you you might not be selling out Wembley Stadium, but you you have it. It seems you've got a, a very good uh, fan base that that love what you do and will come and see you. You know, kind of bands, oh, yeah. a bit similar to bands like Shed, Shed Seven. You know, and um, you know, and um, I was wondering, is that does that evolve as well? You know, do you attract? Um, I, I went to uh, Tramlines this year and watched. Purposely wanted to go and watch bands I'd not seen before, and I was just blown away by the the quality of the music. Are you? Are, do you find that young guys are still uh, interested? Come and see you. Do you find new fans coming to to everything? Everything. Yeah, I am always surprised to see young, like eighteen year olds, whatever, um, at our gigs. In fact, we we've we've always had strangely we've had like a following of like little kids particularly on our third record that seemed to resonate with like under tens in a big way. I don't really know why, um, but I'm certainly not complaining. I think if a band gets into you at that age, it, it really does change your life, um, which is awesome. And maybe some of those kids are old enough to come to shows now, but I also think, yeah, we still, we do still attract young'uns. If, once we see the age of the crowd start to, to go up, that's probably when we're, we've made us the wrong step, I think. Yeah. And just to talk about the business side of it briefly, I mean, I don't mean to be crass, but, you know, I was, I was reading about Spotify um, and, and these these people who are, who are being challenged to change their ways and, and make uh, music more profitable for artists. It's, it's quite tough, isn't it, if you're a new band to to actually to earn a living? It's pretty tough, isn't it? I dread to think what goes on in in that, those situations. I mean, obviously, I know three or four very young bands because I tend to latch on to one like one a year for some reason and go right I'm just going to get obsessed with them and I don't know how the hell they make it work I really don't I mean things were bad enough when we were starting out in the MySpace era just the streaming just before streaming broke we never really had a uh, a pre we never really had a CD album shall we say you know Man Alive was on iTunes and it just went from there um but at least you paid for stuff on iTunes on that record. From then, it just went free, you know, and, and you don't make money from uh, from music. You, like, full stop, you don't make money from music. You do make money from playing live. Um, but if you can't do that, like you can't right now, then, yeah, full stop. There's no, there's nothing else. Um, so, yeah, it, it can get pretty tough, mm. especially if you're starting out. I do not know how... People often ask me, like, what advice would you give bands starting out? And and I just don't know how to answer it. Like, be extremely lucky, have good music, um, you know, get out there. Just meaningless stuff because there is nothing to say. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, the internet's full. Music is full. We we there's no space for us. You know, yeah. there's no space. No one has the attention span. 
people will play one song off your record and then they'll play another person you know it's it, everything is we've got so used to um the the uh the, the format of, of the vinyl record when yeah. it, whenever it was invented and the 45 minutes of of music that you listen to and then you take it off your record player that's just gone it's it's not it's meaningless Mm. Well, I've got my old vinyl here, and, and I, I yeah, I, I, well, you know, it's because you're old school. Although <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of back in a little way, but if you zoom out and look at the history from say 400 years in the future, like oh, they they figured out how to record stuff in like 1880 or whatever, and then Elvis happened. We had youth culture and we had pop music, and for this weird time say 1950 to 2010 humans listened to 50 minutes of music and then they stopped <laughs> like what the, that's just a complete anomaly but to us it's like that no but that's right that's what it should be um and it's the same with with film it's like how long is it is an attention span is it 90 minutes mm. is it two hours is it for some reason 45 minutes when it comes to music yeah. there's all these weird uh, stipulations that we that we think are kind of correct um but they're just nonsense and some of them are getting stripped away now with streaming and with um the way people listen to the way people consume media is to is to just pick a little bit here and there like a, a huge tapas or something yeah That's it's the best it's so interesting that because i have got a, i've got teenage daughters and they both love music and i constantly say you know you need to you need to get into an album you need to understand uh, that it, mm. it's a song within the context of all the other songs. And then, you know, I was, I was just chatting to my daughter the other day. She was talking about uh, the last Arctic Monkeys album. She didn't like it when she, when when it came out. Now she loves it. And I said, that's because these albums are there for an uh, indefinite period of time. You know, I love going back to some old albums and rediscovering new, new rhythms or whatever and just thinking, wow, this is just powerful. Um, yeah. But I think, I think music's being lost in schools in many ways, you know, particularly... You know, I, I go into primary schools. So you don't see an awful lot of music knocking about, which is, which is, which is a shame. Do, do you ever, well, do you ever go right back, Jonathan? You know, you like teach. Yeah, in, in terms of, you know, like things like you said, you're in the choir. You know, some schools don't have choirs anymore. Oh, yeah, well, I th yeah, I was in, I was in a musical school, I'd say, and I had a, a really good uh, music teacher, Mr. Young, and he made the choir he really really pushed that choir to uh to do some crazy shit for a high school choir <laughs> um like weird time signatures and and parts that we just couldn't sing you know he was really ambitious um and he would write these he, he wrote his own odysseus and it was performed once you know just mental <laughs> um so yeah i think i was lucky and we i was just at the right time to get taught um a new AS level called music tech, which prior to that didn't exist. I think we were the first year to do it, um, which was a godsend. That taught me so much about how to record stuff and and using computers to make music. And yeah, I I I kind of haven't been into any schools since I left school. Um, although my mum's mum's a teacher, but um, yeah, I I I just don't know what the crack is now. I feel yeah, yeah maybe it. This I was part of a generation that had it had it good when it comes to music. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. 
Well, Jonathan, it's been it's been absolutely great chatting to you. I love I love chatting music. You got gigs coming up, haven't you? There, there in the new year. Yep. Yeah, you're looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean that's a tour from that should have happened in like March 2020. No, probably earlier than that. It was earlier than that, and now it's happening April 21, uh, 22, 22. Yeah. So yeah, I, it will be nice to play a proper tour. Yeah. And ticket sales doing well. People can still get tickets. Yeah. People are still uh, still a little bit hesitant, but I think as once we get through this winter, it'll be go, 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 hopefully. Or it'll yeah. be everything is closed and everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just keep our fingers crossed. And um, I really appreciate talking to you. Like I say, I love chatting music. And, uh, you know, um, I'm going to keep, keep listening to everything, everything. It's a band that's new to hey. me. And I've and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, all the best from Burnley down the M66 down to Stockport M60. And uh, say, Jonathan, thanks for coming on the Godcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers.